So the keys to success that a lot of people miss is how you build success is you find to understand the law of reciprocity. You give when you can and you give all you can and whatever you can't give, you will receive it back even greater. The pursuit for success and happiness comes when you learn that you can just help someone do something out of your pain. I even when you ask about purpose, your purpose, when you find that purpose, go help someone. Welcome to Afro's Locks and Biz, your number one podcast for black hair, black culture, and black business. Today, we're discussing Path to Redemption by Lester Young Jr. His program offers assistance to those formerly incarcerated, at-risk youth, the homeless population, and anyone in need of resources. And he's been featured on plenty, I should say several, news networks all over the country. CNN, ABC, NBC, and several others. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited. Me too, me too. Uh, I, can't, I can't even get my words out of that. <laughs> I see. But <laughs> it is really, crazy. Really, I think it's the heat too. It's, it's a little, yeah, it's a little been, warm in this room. But um, yeah, so I'm excited to hear his... Well, I'm, we won't talk necessarily about his story per se, but mm-hmm. more so on the entrepreneur side. more Because we're talking about you know businesses this, this season. So right. we're excited to jump into, uh, into his story and how yeah. he... He does things, and you know I'm excited to talk to him because he he focuses on a very uh, important uh, you know niche uh, because it, from people right. who hit a rough patch, whether you've been incarcerated or you've been homeless or you know you um, uh, are at a really really you know low spot financially, uh, he gives uh, uh, help and resources to kind of get people on their feet when they're in those kind of situations and it happens i mean we can't feel like just because those situations may not necessarily have happened to us personally that they don't have we can't just ignore those people those are still people right. and it matters because everybody matters. knows somebody right and absolutely any of those situations you know, and those people locked yeah. up or homeless or right. you know <clears throat> just needing a step up so right yeah, yeah. so excited for this interview it's gonna be good but, but first, first. <laughs> <laughs> like is it lighthearted? No, uh, <laughs> and that's exactly what I was going to say. So, all this time for, for about the last year, for about halfway through last season up until now, I've been fighting who I am, Asia. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it is? Yes, I'm not, I am lighthearted. If you know me, you know, I like to laugh, I like to have fun. Uh, I like to crack jokes and that's all that. But I also have a very, um, I guess you can say serious side. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I pay a lot of close attention to current events, to politics, to news, to all kinds of serious things that sometimes people like to not talk about. And I've been resisting it and pushing it away. I want to talk about pink sauce and all kinds of stuff. Uh, but... <laughs> I don't really pay much attention to pop culture, so I don't know what's going on with celebrities. I don't know what's going on with Lizzo or Mick <laughs> uh, <laughs> or any of the reality shows. That's not me. Sorry. Um, so I've just decided to embrace who I am and <laughs> talk about the stuff I I pay attention to. Uh, and so <clears throat> that's just that's just who I am. That's what y'all gonna get for the rest of the season. Sorry. Um, <laughs> 
So no, it is not lighthearted. Uh, what's been on my feed for the last week is this uh, this raid at Mar-a-Lago um, of Trump and this whole situation with uh, conservatives being upset and making threats to the FBI, which I don't know why you want to do that. Uh, but because <laughs> um, they know, you know, they would know what color my t-shirt is right now, probably. And so it's the kind of people you want to play with. Uh, but they, their guns make them feel super. Let them go ahead on with that. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so I've been, you know, keeping up with it and trying to, you know, see what's going on. Uh, I didn't really stay on top of it at first because uh, I was out of town when it happened and um, traveling and I wasn't really paying attention to the news. I was just kind of relaxing. It was my week off. Anyway, <clears throat> so now that I'm back, uh, I've been kind of catching up on what's been going on in the world. And uh, yeah, so basically, it's my understanding what happened is that uh, when Trump left the White House, he took a bunch of documents. He took his stuff, which he's supposed to do, but there's a lot of stuff that you can't take. Uh, from the White House and from government offices, which right everybody kind of knows that. That's kind of right. Cool. You can't just walk into a five finger discount. You can't yeah, keep no, that you can't just take stuff. <laughs> Even if you're the president, uh, there's a, there's uh, documents and things that anything that a president receives while they're president. Um, I think right. it's the Presidential Archives Act or something like that. Right. And so all that stuff has to be archived by you know the national archives and uh, they keep that stuff and they keep it on record uh because it's a matter of it could be a matter of national security so um it's my understanding trump took a lot of that with him and um the archives were have been going back and forth with him and his team for the past year or so saying hey we need those boxes back uh and they sent some boxes back and but they weren't there was stuff that was in them wasn't what they were looking for so uh, they had to issue a subpoena and issue a warrant and go raid Mar-a-Lago, long story short, basically. And, you know, they're upset about it. The reason why they ended up raiding it because they thought it was just some stuff, some papers, some letters, whatever. So, hey, we got to get that stuff back. And then the partial stuff, they discovered there was some classified documents in it. And that's a big no-no um, of handling, mishandling federally uh, classified documents because like I said it's a matter of national security um, right. and we all know from the last five years uh, Trump doesn't hang out with the most upstanding individuals so mm. <laughs> the idea that it could fall into the wrong hands is a real possibility so I mean he didn't have that long it probably did <laughs> most likely it probably has unfortunately and we won't see the results of that for some time to come but um it was absolutely, you know, in, in the Department of Justice, um, their jurisdiction and best in the best interest of national security for them to do what they did. So all this with the conservatives, we don't trust the FBI, and it's an overreach. No, it's not. Here's my here's my issue with the, with the conservatives, and if you're a conservative, too bad. Uh, so <laughs> they like they want to pick and choose what laws we follow and which ones we don't and when it comes to them and particularly when it comes to trump which i don't understand because no one should be above the law you don't want anyone being above the law that is a slippery slope uh where you just end up with all kinds of anarchy and 
you just don't want that. And so, you know, when, not when, because it's still happening, but when black people are killed by, uh, you know, by police, it's, oh, we got, we're back to blue and follow the law and why don't you comply? Well, but one of theirs doesn't comply. Oh, it's overreach. <laughs> Which is it? <laughs> Either right. you believe in the rule of law or you don't. You can't have it both ways. Either you know you believe you you trust law enforcement or you don't. You, it can't have it both ways, and particularly when there's no evidence that they've done anything wrong. And it sounds like uh, the Trump organization had more than enough opportunity to do the right thing and follow the law, but they chose not to. They ended up getting raided. Now, chances are most likely. You probably won't see any consequences from this again. Although, if me or you did that, yeah, we're going to prison. So, uh, but it's a privilege. Ooh-wee. That's my not like news for the day. So, uh, <laughs> um, can you tell I'm not really a Trump fan at all? Anyway, Asia, what's on your feed? <laughs> <laughs> The baby's going back to school. Okay, okay. <laughs> you've, been, you've, been, you've been filled with the uh, first day of school pictures? Yes. They have been flooding on my feed. Everybody's yeah. baby's going back to school. Um, mm-hmm. But I did have a question. It was okay. brought up in a group chat that I have. Okay. Um, I have a couple of friends who have uh, twins mm-hmm. and so the question is well I don't know if I should I think it's a question um when you have a set of twins and they go to school should they be in class together or should they be separate um... <laughs> so one group um she said she wanted hers to stay together her children mm-hmm. to stay together and then the other one she said that they had already, they just went ahead and separated them anyway. I guess the school did that. Mm-hmm. So my thing was, I think they should be separate because that way they learn, you know, they, they learn differently. And then they, they learn to not necessarily be so dependent on each other. Because when you go in with, you know, with the sibling and stuff in class, then it's, it's a whole different dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. You are always going to feel like you need them to, to be, you know, to to succeed, to survive in certain things in those situations. Um, But I think, you know, especially at that age, you need to start learning different things on your own. So I think it's better for them to be apart. Hmm. Um, What do you think? um, I can't say I've ever thought about it, honestly. Uh, (laughs) So (laughs) So (laughs) random, I know. (laughs) So I don't know. I guess it would depend on the age and it would depend on, you mentioned, you know, being dependent on each other. I think it would depend on how dependent on each other they are. Uh, Some twins are, you know, they're, you know, two sides of the same coin. And when you see one, you see the other, they stick by each other all the time. Uh, They have their own little language and they talk back and forth and blah, blah, blah. But other twins are night and day. And so, you know, it couldn't be more different. And so even if they are in the same class, they're still very different people and they don't really um, 
really uh, depend on each other very much at all because they're so different. Um, so I guess it kind of depends. But again, I, I've never really thought about it. So I don't know. I'm going to have to put that on the ALB uh, Facebook group page. Yeah. Because um, one of them, she said her child is very advanced one of the one of the one of the students or one of the twins is very advanced and i Mm -hmm. said okay well if she's very advanced and you put her in a group with the other with the other twin Mm -hmm. it may be it may stunt her growth because she's trying to she should be in a different class excelling but then she may want to hold back because of her her sibling so you know that those kinds of things so i was like yeah i think they should be separate they'll come home together they'll see each other (laughs) they'll be fine the sibling rivalry will continue you know (laughs) yeah everybody needs their space oh that's all but that's how i feel yeah (laughs) Yeah. and even if when you're not twins i mean you don't want to you know live in your sibling shadow uh, like you said, your friend has, you know, twins and one is excelling, one is very advanced and one is not. Uh, yeah, they're always going to be compared to their twin. Uh, you know, even I'm the second oldest and my brother and I are not twins. And I know I remember when I got to high school, I was referred to as Charlie's little brother. And so, mm. <laughs> so they're like, can I have my own name? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And so, yeah, I. I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question, though. I don't know. I never thought about that. So, yeah, I just, and it just popped up. It was just a question today on the on the chat. And so I was like, that's a good question. That's yeah. That's a really good question because everybody has a difference of opinion. And it could be because I've, I'm, I'm a very independent person. So, yeah. to me, I'm like, I need my space. I need my <laughs> right. So, and I feel like people need to find themselves because, yes, you are. Yes, you are twins. Yes, you, um, you know, came out the womb together and certain things, but everybody has to find their own way. Everybody got to find their own destiny. Everybody got to find their own purpose. And I don't know that you can do that when you're always together. Mm, that's true. That's true. But you know what? You're also the oldest. So you're kind of I am the oldest. find your own way. And so, because you really didn't have a choice because you didn't have any siblings when you came, when you first came through. That's true. So. They do say firstborns are natural-born leaders, so you yeah, have to be, yeah, yeah. But and you are what number? I'm the second oldest. Yes, I'm number two. Second oldest. Okay, number two. Okay. So, and then your thoughts are what now? Um, as second oldest, because what do they say about the second oldest? I know my sister would be like, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, are you always talking about Asia? <laughs> So I'm the second oldest, but I'm also the middle boy. There are four of us. And I think I definitely have that middle child syndrome. Uh, The middle child tends to be a little quieter. They tend to kind of do things on their own, uh, kind of go their own way because you kind of don't have a choice because uh, the oldest tends to be the leader and make all the decisions. And then the youngest gets all the attention because they're the baby. And so in the middle, you kind of left to fend for yourself. And so... uh, the middle child tends to be more creative, again because you tend you end up playing by yourself a lot because you're the middle <laughs> child, and so <laughs> uh, they tend to are, have are, imaginary think, friends and things like that. No, I did you not think have middle children are um, more introverted. Middle children, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Okay. 
My sister's an introvert. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. I believe it. Now, I, I wouldn't say that she's, I don't know. I would say I'm more the creative type. I wouldn't say she's the creative type. But, okay. um, and then we did have this discussion where she got frustrated because she was like, nobody knows my name. <laughs> and, and and we all and and we would joke about you know and mm-hmm. if to me it was funny it was like how's Alana how's Alana my name's Alana but she won't say my you know she won't come out and say my name is Alana she'd be like oh. and you know everybody will name her something else Alana Elena or something we know what I mean and we like oh mm-hmm. it's fine it's fine she was like no because you should if you you should take the time to know my name and I was like you know you're right that is right because I think I would be upset if you didn't know my name. Like if someone calls me like Alicia, it's Asia. Now you might spell it wrong. Right. And that's cool. Like the first or the second time. Mm-hmm. But that third time, <laughs> oh no, you are, it's Asia. A-Y-S-I. You know, and it could just be that I'm getting older now and I just, you know, yeah. the, that kind of thing. Just, no, I, I know who I am. I know, you know, this is my name. We don't. But you know that I don't like that stuff anymore. But listening to her story now, mm. I have a different respect. I, you know, I didn't. It didn't even dawn on me until you know, she mentioned it. It's funny. She. It's funny you mentioned that that she's talking about people knowing her name because I'm real particular about names and I I make sure to call people by their name and not just a name but whatever name they want to be called. Right. And I'm real particular about that. Um, when. <clears throat> whether it's my name or anyone else's name. Um, and like, I remember on, uh, what's the, on Roots, you know, the scene with Kunta Kinte being whooped because he didn't want to accept, you know, his yeah. name of Toby. I felt that. Uh, and I used to work at CVS. And when I worked there, I worked in a pharmacy and we had an intern, a pharmacy intern. She was Asian and she started, I remember she came in that's her name and she gave her Asian name I don't remember what her Asian name was but she said but everybody calls me Sarah I was like so all right so what is your name <laughs> she said well maybe so and so I'll say okay well I'm, I'll call you so and so I don't remember what her Asian name was but um it was I called her by her Asian name while everybody else called her Sarah I'm like, her name ain't Sarah yeah. so, <laughs> so she probably got frustrated at people not knowing how to say it right Right, and so she just was like, "Just call me Sarah." But right deep down, you yeah. Okay, first of all, I'm looking at you. You're not a Sarah, and so <laughs> <laughs> right. I know your mom didn't name you know Sarah. Not Sarah. <laughs> um, going back to the first day of school pictures thing. Uh, interesting, you mentioned that also. Uh, there was you know how you of course like you said you they're filling up your feet as they are mine. And I saw a police officer, she posted one, you know how parents have the little kids holding a little um, chalkboard with their name and their school and yes. the teacher's name and all that. So she was, t- it was two pictures of the cop, one holding the little chalkboard with all the stuff the parents put on it, name, full name, yes. Yes. school and their teacher and what grade they're in and all that stuff. And then another one, second picture with what is appropriate to put on there. So on the second picture, it was just a first name where it had uh, the school that was blank, their grade was blank, and had like favorite thing to do was like PE or whatever, and favorite subject was like, I don't know, history or whatever. And those are the only things that were on the little card. 
and the caption is basically like don't give out too information too much information about your kids because there are people out here they're watching your feed uh and people do bad things and so uh someone could come and see your kid walking down the sidewalk hey i don't know jolene or whatever (laughs) his name is uh your mom told me to pick you up from such and such or call to school and pretend to be you and try to pick up your kid or something um so it's something that people don't think about because most people no, are innocent right. you know, it's cool now i just I'm gotta take the picture grade. and that's it <laughs> right and so we just want to you know we, we're happy oh. about our kid going to second grade yeah. or third grade or whatever grade they're going to and uh we don't think about little details because the because most of us 99 percent of us are good people we don't Right. Not nobody's kids. Oh, little Johnny's going to second grade. Uh, that's cool. But there's some, you know, bad person out there that's looking at that, you know, and saying, "Oh, I think I can pick up little Johnny. I got all, I got all his information." So just be careful when posting information online. Uh, don't post up too much about your kids. Yes, 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 yes. And with that being said, it is time for us to take a little break. Mm-hmm. But when we come back, mm-hmm. we will speak with. Lester Young Jr. We have Mr. Lester Young Jr. He is a native of Hilton Head, South Carolina. At the age of 19, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of a parole until 20 years had been served. Entering into prison without the proper education was Lester's biggest struggle. With the support of his family and friends, he was able to maintain his GED and then later enroll in business management course um, as a student of Ashworth College. Lester began drawing attention from prison chaplains, correctional officers, as well as wardens for the interest he expressed in not only educating himself, but encouraging others to educate themselves as well. With permission from the warden, he began meeting with the chaplain to create templates, course outlines, programs, and classes to instruct and mentor those incarcerated alongside him. This is where the idea Path to Redemption was born. He vowed that once he was paroled, he would continue his teachings to motivate others to continue their own path to redemption. And a year after he was released, he started Path to Redemption. So let's welcome Lester Young Jr. Welcome, welcome. Welcome. Blessings, blessings. Thank you all for this invitation. I'm looking forward to diving into this great conversation today. So let's get it. So if you can just give our listeners kind of like a brief history of kind of what you went through and what was your mindset at the time of first getting locked up at that age? Well, I always say that um, my mindset was a mindset of a broken teenage boy, um, emotionally broken, mentally, spiritually broken. Um, and that caused a level of numbness um, to to the whole system of incarceration. The whole life sentence was a, a phase of numbness um, to a point where I just didn't really feel anything, didn't understand the, what was taking place in my life at the time. I remember sitting in the courtroom uh, going through that two-day trial, and it felt like I was dreaming. 
Um, I didn't feel anything, didn't care about anything. I just wanted it over with. And, and, and because of that callousness that I had, I, you know, um, in, in a lot of ways, it offended a lot of people, right? It, it offended, most importantly, the victim's family, because I didn't show any sense of remorse. And now, looking back at that, that was one of the worst things that I could have done is show that type of uh, nonchalant, didn't care attitude when a family was grieving the loss of their loved one. And here I am sitting there in this, this feeling of, I don't care about this, just let's get it over with. So I was very insensitive at the time. Um, so I've reached out to that family over the years and, and deeply um, expressed my deepest apologies and regret and remorse for their behavior as well as the taking of their loved one uh, for such a senseless crime as murder over some drugs. So my incarceration was, like I said, the first couple of years of my incarceration, it was a numb feeling. Um, and I tried everything within my power to drown and to keep it numb because I didn't want it to deal with the reality. One, that here I am a 19 year old sentenced to life in prison with a 3% chance of ever getting free. Two is now I have to deal with the fact that someone has lost their life uh, and then deal with the shame that I brought upon my family. So it was a lot of emotion took place those first couple of years of my incarceration. How many years did you serve? I served a total of 22 years and five months inside of the, inside of the prison system. Um, I was paroled in 2014 after serving 22 years and five months um, at the age of 41 years old. And that's a whole nother, whole nother conversation about just the, the different emotions that took place after incarceration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, that's, uh, wow, that's a whole weekend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a lot. That's a lot. I can't even imagine. I can't imagine. I know that was a lot to go to go through. And I know you, you mentioned that, you know, you were numb during the situation, during the mm -hmm. trial and all that. Mm -hmm. But um, this, you know, 22 years is a long time. And uh, congratulations you know, on all just keeping yourself because I, I mean just every day is a challenge i'm sure uh in the prison system uh whether dealing with other inmates to dealing with you know those who are in charge to just in your own dealing with your own mind it's a lot to deal with so yeah, i've never all. experienced it but yeah we've all, we've all heard stories yeah, Charles, you're right. It's like, you know, it's it's being locked up in two prisons. Many mm -hmm. people see the physical prison, but they don't see the mental and emotional prison that so many people are locked up in. And mm -hmm. I always tell people I was incarcerated before I was incarcerated. My mindset, mm -hmm. my, I was already in prison. My behavior, my limited belief system, my low self-esteem, my low sense of self-worth, I was already in a prison. My negative thinking, all of that put me in these very different levels of prison. So when I was sentenced to life in prison, I was sentenced to a physical life sentence, but I was already serving life um, because of my, my, my limited belief systems, my brokenness and, and living a life of hurt and rather than finding ways to heal from that. So that numbness created another layer of callousness, uh, an, a level, another layer of callous on me um, to, to help me cope with it. But in reality, brother, I was already in prison before I got into prison with a life sentence. And very briefly, Matt asked, like, what led you in that direction to the mental prison before the prison uh, to, to give it to give it to give it to, I guess, to kind of give a perspective. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking back to when I was 19. Uh, when I was 19, I was a freshman in college. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, I was thinking about, you know, my career coming up and girls, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> 
And so, you know, I wasn't thinking about selling drugs. I wasn't thinking about killing anyone. I wasn't thinking about anything criminal, you know, mm-hmm. maybe skipping class. Um, but so, I know that's not the reality for everybody. And mm-hmm. so some people, you know, at that age are they're they have a very serious life, you know, very serious street life. Um, mm-hmm. And so what gets you there at, what, you know, what? such a young age? Yeah, great, great question, man. <laughs> you know, my I never had aspirations of going to college, and that's the crazy thing because of my environment in which I grew up in. We didn't, we didn't talk about college. We talked about, we talked about selling drugs, and it's we already knew that we was going to prison, and we saw prison as a badge of honor. As silly as crazy as that sound now, when I even mention it and hearing it myself, it was a silly thing, mm-hmm. but it just shows you that when you have a group of young people, young teenage boys, who don't really have a proper representation of manhood living in an environment that actually perpetuate that mindset, it be continued to be a part of who you are. You be, you see that as a sense of identity, you know, uh, uh, selling drugs, smoking weed, wilding out, gangbanging, and also seeing that I don't, I don't really fear going to prison because all my other homies who got most respect in the community has went to prison. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you know, you're dealing with a, a whole family dynamics. You know, um, my father's always been in my life. But me and my father never had a really good relationship. And that's the thing that I always tell people that, you know, you have to have good relationships with your children. Rather, fathers have to have good relationship with their sons because their sons go up, grow up, and they now searching for a sense of identity in something else or somewhere else. And that sometimes lead them down the wrong road. And then on top of that, at 16 years old, my mom died. My mother died when I was 16 after an argument me and her had. She was sick. I didn't realize how sick sick she was. And uh, the next morning I woke up not realizing after an argument that I did not apologize to my moms and, you know, went to school and three hours later found out that my mom had passed away. So on top of all of the other things, now I'm dealing with this great, great level of guilt and grief that I didn't know how to process. And, And, you know, I didn't understand how to process that. Looked at my father. He didn't show me. He didn't process it well. So it was a lot of crazy dynamics that just led to this 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 anger but also this prison that it put me in and it's nothing like a being in a prison of guilt mm-hmm. right if you ever been you know that's like a thing that eats you inside out and before you know it man it's like you don't even really exist anymore well because of that and losing a mother at 16 years old and not getting that therapy not getting those things that i needed it, it started eating me outside inside out which put me on that path of destruction man from 16 to 19 years old you had this uh, rough childhood. Uh, a lot of very uh, uh, challenging things happened during your teenage years, your relationship with your dad, losing your mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you make some bad decisions and end up in prison at 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so fast forward to the part where you start changing mm-hmm. to the more positive Lester. What led to that change? Uh, of course, you know, once I got into prison, me and my dad, our relationship became super, super, super dope, right? And my father was a man who believed in God, and he found his way back to God, and then he started using that to help me find my path to God. Um, and so he encouraged me, he used to come and visit, encouraging me to faith, finding faith, fasting, and stuff like that. 
And I started doing it, you know, I started practicing those spiritual things to help me grow the process and break away out of this prison. And one of the things that I always attribute my, my transformation to is me sitting, who have done the work spiritually and being in this place, begging God for this forgiveness because I wanted no longer to live in that prison of damnation, right? And that's that emotional, mental, psychological prison. I could deal with the physical prison, but that internal prison was hell. And I remember just processing and asking God every night to forgive me. And just one night on a Friday night after watching a show called Dateline, um, if you're familiar with that show, I saw this mother who lost a son to murder. And this mother was crying profusively um, from the loss of her, uh, her son. And I remember, and if for some reason that vibrated deep into my spirit, and it made me really, for the first time, look at what I'd done to someone else's family, right? And, and for three, four years, I was in, in denial about what I did to Gary, the guy who I shot and killed. His name is Gary Goldinger. And for four years, I didn't want to mention his name, wanted to entertain anything about him, wanted to read no court documents that had his name on it because it was easier for me to cope. But in this one Friday night after Dateline, seeing this mother grieve and hearing her, it made it put me in a, in a conscious state to think about how, how I've impacted someone else's life. And I remember drifting off that night, going to sleep, but I woke up crying and, and, and crying. And, and I remember like, why am I crying? I didn't understand why I was waking up crying. And my spirit just told me I needed to pray. So I got up and I went and prayed and um, I went on the floor in this cold cell, my prison cell, at, you know, it was dark and cold. And, and, I, and I asked God, I was like, God, forgive me, help me, help me. And God said, I've forgiven you, but you got to ask the, the person who you killed to forgive you. And that was Gary, you know, and, and, and in that moment, I remember begging God and God was like, I've forgiven you. Gary is the person you have to get, forget, see forgiveness from. And for that first time in four years, I uttered his name, Gary Goldinger, and I asked him to forgive me. And it's almost like I summoned his spirit into my room. And in that moment, I began to, again, cry in a fetus position. But in that moment, I found a sense of peace because I begged him for the first time to forgive me for what I did and how the harm that I caused his family. And in that, I remember promising him that I will live my life in an honor to honor his life through my path to redemption. And this is where my whole organization, Path to Redemption, came from, is that one Friday night on that prison floor, begging God to forgive me. But I summoned the spirit of Gary Goldinger Jr. And I began this path to redemption. And it began atonement uh, for the crime that I committed, the sin that I caused him and the sin that I caused so many other people. How did that kind of morph into educating others and then getting the chaplain involved and mm -hmm. creating templates and courses mm -hmm. and programs? Great question. Again, what happened with that is that as weeks went on and months passed, I still remember that night, that Friday night where I made that promise. So my, my spiritual eye and my spirit was open to receive every lesson possible to help me become better. And in 1996, and I, and I remember these things because they're like really important part of my journey. In 1996, we were, it was a major riot at the, at the prison I was housed at. And in this, being that we was on a major lockdown in the whole state of South Carolina, I was watching TV one night, one afternoon watching an Oprah show. And you'd be like, damn, this dude was watching a lot of TV in prison, but I wasn't. <laughs> but every time I would turn on a TV show, it would always have a message to me. So I started watching Oprah and she had this particular episode. She was talking about the power of gratitude and mind you i just had the conversation where i spoke to gary a couple months later and really felt it's time for me to make this change 
but she remembers she encouraged her audience to begin a, a gratitude journal about five things in the morning, five things at night that you're grateful for. And I started doing it and she emphasized start journaling. And I started journaling like immediately after watching this particular show. And I started realizing that my five stages of incarceration, which I discovered, which was self-denial, anger, victimization, forgiveness, and transformation. As I continue to work on myself, that there were other individuals in prison that were inside of a, their own emotional mental prison. And the thing that was driving them to a level of insanity is because they could deal with the physical prison, but that guilt and all of the pain and the brokenness, that was the thing that was hurting them. And because I realized that I started having casual conversations with them and I realized that we all had a thing in common. We we're all broken men, young teenage boys that were broken and didn't know how to fix themselves. And through journaling, I started flushing out a lot of things. And from there, it started from one individual to two individuals. And I started a, a program that I started working with men in prison. It's only by the grace of God that I was able to connect with these men. And the reason why I was able to connect with them because hurt people identify hurt people. You feel me? Mm -hmm. So that's how I was able to connect with them on that level. And then from there, they started trusting me. And I started, I just started walking out my purpose. And my purpose was to help my brothers as well as myself heal from our own pain, the pain that we had way before incarceration, so that we can be able be able to endure the physical prison sentence. The prison once I break out of that physical that mental emotional prison. The physical prison was nothing for me because now I was connected to something greater, which was my purpose and a gift was born out of all of that pain. And I now found something that I could work with. And that's how all of these programs started inside of prison is when I discovered my voice, my gift and my purpose in life. Wow. It sounds like what a lot of people have been saying for a lot of times is, is very much needed in the prison system, which is mental health counseling. I know you weren't officially a mental health counselor, mm -hmm. but through your own self therapy, uh, you began to provide therapy to others. And that's a great thing. Uh, because like you said, the hurt people can recognize other hurt people. So y'all were dealing with a lot of the same things. And so you mm -hmm. were, I think the perfect person uh, mm -hmm. to help, you know, the other men in the prison, yeah. with their grief and their hurt and their, their, their mental prison that they were dealing with. Yeah, I think the powerful thing with that is that, you know, you know, the prison system isn't set up to understand the value of someone with a lived experience, right? Someone who's been there, done that and, and struggling with it. Mm -hmm. the, the way that the prison system is set up, it is set up in a way where it always shifts the authority to prison staff, but it's hard for a prison staff to relate to someone who is broken and they don't have the very similar experience, right? So that's that's what made my message resonate more with the men that I worked with is because we had a very similar story and an experience, and that created a, a bond of trust and respect, which allow them to open up a little more than they would open up to a correctional officer, right? Or prison chaplain. So that was the power of peer-to-peer -peer support um, because you coming from a very similar level as that person is coming. So hopefully we can, we can continue to produce a model like how I use inside of the prison system, produce a very similar model and continue to share that throughout the prison system because I think that all of the men and women that are currently in prison they need more and more peer support from those who have that lived experience to help them be able to unpack some of the pain. And then from there, they can begin to seek out the mental counsel of those who have a, a greater level of knowledge and expertise to help them process it. I might be fast going a little too much, but um, when you did get released, mm -hmm. 
and you'd return to society. Can you talk about the disconnect that you experienced? Uh, with returning back to society after prison? Yes. Yeah, that was that was a major thing. Um, <clears throat> again, uh, you you would have these various programs in the prison system talking about uh, speaking uh, and relate to reentry. But if you never walked in the shoes of a man or a woman who's walking out of prison after whatever amount of years, you really you can't fully prepare them for that. So I, I didn't have that part of me. I had the part where I can help individuals break through these various levels of uh, incarceration and become better people while they're there. But what I realized I didn't have, I didn't have the skills, nor the knowledge and what, what to expect when I walked out of prison. So just like anyone else, when you walked out of walking out of prison, you're so excited about what life could possibly be. But I wasn't prepared for depression. I wasn't prepared for the culture shock of, um, of being released from prison. I wasn't prepared for the panic attacks, sitting in a restaurant and not knowing what to order or standing in a self-serving line and not knowing how to process and you feel like you want to run out of that place, you know, or feeling a level of separation, anxiety or separation, um, being, being separated from a population of people who you call family to now be home with your loved ones, but you feel like you're really not there because the people that you would fight and die for in prison that became a part of your family, you left them behind. So survival guilt is that survival guilt was real. It is real, right? And then on top of that, you're struggling to seek employment. And now you're struggling with a level of depression that you didn't realize that you had while you were in prison. So all of these different things surfaced up for me when I walked out of prison. And, and I had to learn how to navigate these various emotions and by and not allowing them to trigger uh, other other ways that I used to live, right? Because it's easy for a person when you're struggling with these things to find yourself back into smoking weed, drinking, partying, and engaging in criminality. But because I did so much in interpersonal work prior to being released, those things didn't really bother me. I just learned to process the emotion and keep it in a very healthy way. Um, but after I do that, I, again, I turned into a curriculum where I started using Everything that I experienced in my first 90 days, my first 180 days of release from prison, I started sending them back into the prison through DVDs. And I found that through me talking through what I was going through helped me to process it in a different way as because I was so used to teaching. I continue to teach when I walked out of prison about my journey after release from prison. And because of that, it allowed me to level out, balance a lot of things out in my life and put me on that path to redemption towards success after incarceration. So you mentioned that it was hard for you to find employment. Do you mm -hmm. think that it's easier for somebody trying to get back into society for them to get a nine to five or to become an entrepreneur? Oh, that's a really good question. Oof. It all is. Uh, I, I, it all depends, right? Um, like for me, I realized what my trigger was as that I, I, I'm, I was a drug dealer. And so I realized that I needed to learn about financial literacy. I needed to learn how to make money legitimately. Mm -hmm. So with that, I walked out with an entrepreneur state of mind and how to create a product or service to hustle and to be able to earn a means out here. Mm -hmm. Some of the individuals in prison, they don't spend that time. And then I realized also that you don't have the capital to actually start the business up. So you would actually have to get a nine to five, which may not be that difficult if you just understand that you're not going to make the type of money that you want to make. Right. Because when I got out of prison, I was making $50 an hour. <laughs> I mean, not $50 an hour. I was making $50 a day. Somebody was paying me under the table 
Mm-hmm. Uh, $50 a day, um, 12 hours working 10 hours a day for $50. And I was making more than that in, in a prison system. Wow. You know, um, somebody was paying me and that's just the exploitation that happens for those with felony conviction. But once again, if a person is really in tune with who they are through their level of emotional intelligence, I would say for the first, maybe the first year, get a nine to five to help you acclimate and get you into a routine and then on the side work on your business plan. And that's exactly what I did. And from there, I was able to grow three businesses out of that particular process that I went through. I know we're kind of, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but just on that same topic, We hear a lot about how hard it is to get a job Mm -hmm. uh, once you come out of the prison system. And there have been, you know, initiatives like ban the box and things Mm -hmm. like that uh, to try to make that process easier for people coming back into society. Have you done any work or had any kind of lobbying with government officials to try to, you know, work on that from the outside now that you're out here working on this issue? And also you experience it yourself. Absolutely. I mean, one of the biggest challenges I didn't no one really prepared me for is that they say, hey, when you get out of prison, it's going to be easy to get a job. But then you realize that when you get it's not that easy. Right. Right. So so one of the first things I started doing was like, man, what is this thing I keep checking? And it's called the box that you check this criminal conviction. Your computers, computers will literally shut down if you apply for a job and you check that box. The computer application will shut down. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, what's going on here? And I started doing the research. I realized that. Any, any individual get out of prison, they will have 48,000 collateral consequences tied to that felony conviction. Those are invisible barriers that are tied to a person's felony conviction. So I did the research with the city of Columbia and realized that they did not have passed a ban the box ordinance. So I went on this campaign. I started advocating to get the city of Columbia to pass one of the first ban the box ordinances, which will give people with felony conviction opportunity for employment. I don't know if you like if you're driving to Atlanta or you right here in Columbia, South Carolina, you would see uh, individuals in a white van and different color prison uniforms on the side of the highway, picking up picking up litter, or you go to this here in Columbia and you would see individuals working at the state house at the governor's mansion there there are people who are incarcerated but when they're released they're not able to get a job and I see something wrong with that and that's and that's a whole nother conversation understand the historical purpose and reason why these laws have been put in place is to deny people mobility that is tied to the 13th amendment tied to the whole situation right but I realized that we had a mayor who was, uh, was a black male, um, Mayor Benjamin, uh, at the time. And I saw that he, he, you represented a population of men that were being denied access to employment. So we built a relationship. I started advocating. And long, long story short, we was able to get Band of Box passed here in Columbia, South Carolina. We was able to get eight Band of Box policies passed across the state of South Carolina. And we also started having more of a deeper dive conversation with businesses understanding why it's so important to hire people with felony convictions and what is the underlying benefit of hiring a man or a woman with a felony conviction. It benefits, when we talk about violence in our community, if you look at some of these communities in our state that are considered most violent, there are people who being denied access to employment, housing, and other educational opportunities. In most cases, they have a felony conviction. So it's the most healthiest thing I realized is that we have to change these policies. So I became, I'm an advocate to my heart. I'm an advocate, I'm entrepreneur, I'm everything that my experience produced, I use these experiences to create access and accessibility for others as well as myself. That's amazing. And that's great. I mean, 
kudos to you for you know for all that hard work because it does take a lot of work behind the scenes and mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people you know and I, I rail about this all the time on social media uh, that you know we'll make social media posts but we won't go to the county council meeting we won't go to the city mm -hmm. council meeting we won't vote we won't uh, write letters we won't sign petitions we won't talk to the mayor and, and that kind of thing and that those are the things getting policies change is what makes change you yeah social media post does nothing <laughs> no, and, and see that's the thing too is like i had to learn this i had right. one thing i realized i had to learn how to be a little more cordial with people i had to learn because i come from a prison i come from a screen environment i had to learn i had to polish myself right mm -hmm. i had to get, become a little more polished be more more articulated more understanding of policies because then i removed the fear most people fear it because they don't understand it. They don't realize yeah. that their voice matters, that elected officials, they vote, you vote them in and right. they work for you. And right. a lot of people have to understand that. And like I, before I was able to vote, cause I had a life sentence when I got out of prison, I mean, a lifetime parole, which prevented me from voting. I still was out in the community telling other individuals that you should vote and vote more so in your local election versus your your big broad election to president mm -hmm. your local mm -hmm. officials impact you on a on a daily basis right and, and and we have to understand the difference between local and federal we need to focus on lo local policies when it comes down to housing education and all of these different barriers that we face as a community we have to stop focusing on the national things and focus more so on the local your school board your city council members who may win a seat by 400 500 votes and no one can test them you know and they have not doing anything for the community we have to understand that we have a voice and we put them in and we can vote them out and if, if we can't find a candidate we groom somebody from within our inner circle to run for these particular positions so that they can become the the individual that impact change from inside outside absolutely absolutely from your experience and then also from being out for some time now and you know doing the work that you do for someone who has just come out mm -hmm. uh and they want to get on their feet they want to do the right thing they want to go in the right path they maybe want to you know become well you kind of sort of answered that question a minute ago but um what what is their step one what should they do first Step one, I, I crazy. I was just I left the prison early today and I spoke to a group of men and my step one for them is why they there. They don't need to wait for step one when they walk out of prison. Step one should be creating a strategic plan for their life after prison. They they're down to that six months that whatever that year, whatever you have left, begin creating an outline of what you want, type of lifestyle that you want. Begin to envision that lifestyle. And I told one guy he has 30 days. I said, every day before you walk out of prison, write yourself a letter. That's step one. And, and, and the reason why I said write the letter, create the vision is because you need to have something that you can be able to attach something to once you walk out of prison. Step two would be once you get out of prison, you have your goals, you have these letters that you've written yourself to remind you where you come from. The second thing would be is to find a mentor that who's been where you've been to help you begin to slowly acclimate back into life after incarceration, meaning back into your family, back into relationship, back into workforce, back into just learning how to eat out at a restaurant for dinner without grabbing a, a, a knife thinking somebody's walking behind you to harm you. The third thing would be is find a counselor, get a counselor that help you process your own emotional trauma that happened before prison 
during prison and after prison because hurt people hurt people. And I have a saying that you cannot walk in the rain and don't expect to get wet. So many of us who are in prison, we believe that we're not institutionalized, that we okay when we walk out of prison. No, you're not okay because you have witnessed and you've experienced some stuff that shook the core of who you are as a person. And now you come back home into your family, into your children's life, and you trying to build relationship with them, but you're building it from a place of hurt, a place of not no knowledge of how to build an intimate relationship with individuals and it harms you. So those will be like the key things. And then from there, of course, you go into the space and seek employment and you slowly build your, your credit, start building finances and slowly moving forward. But the foundation has to be built on those things that I just mentioned. Can you talk about the programs that you currently offer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one of the things that uh, I offer like several programs because again, I, 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 if you're familiar with the avatar and marketing, I, I market to the 16 year old Lester. I market to him, I market to the 19 year old Lester. If I had these things, how would it have changed my life? I market to the 41 year old Lester when he walked out of prison, he didn't have anything, he was able to build something. So what I started realizing is one that individuals needed group uh, coaching programs. So I actually got certified in group coaching as a coach, certified coach. So I can create a group, a group coaching for formerly incarcerated people. And then from there, financial literacy is something that so many of us struggle with before prison and after prison. So it was about creating a program around financial literacy, how to build wealth after incarceration is a real thing. How do you turn your nine to five and create a side hustle that will allow you to be able to grow that side hustle to a, to a level where you can quit this nine to five and do what you're really passionate about. I work with classes on that. And then also we do the forklifting certification classes where we get individuals certified with forklifting because that is a high demand today. People are looking for forklift drivers. They're looking for any individual with trades. So we help provide trades, free trade opportunities for these individuals. And lastly, we help people once you have been out of prison five years, we understand the value of receiving a pardon. I received my, my pardon in 2020, which was a game changer for me on a lot of levels, right? So now I do, I help individuals begin this pardon process and demystify all of the misinformation that they have about a pardon, thinking it's expensive. You need to pay a lawyer five and ten thousand dollars. You don't you can be your own lawyer. File your pardon, your pardon application for less than $150 in eight months, you can get pardoned by the state of South Carolina. We'll remove these barriers for you. So those are the things that I focus on in the community and helping educate those who are currently in prison as well as those who transition out of the community. About how many people do you think you've helped so far? And sis, that's like a crazy, I don't know. I, mean, I don't, you know, because I don't keep numbers. I don't keep count in this game. And and, and, and my purpose, I, I just do what God has led me to do. I mean, I, I don't know, sis. Like, I'm, I don't, I really can't put a number to it. Only thing I can say is that I pray that when my, when my uh, period uh, comes to an end in this life, I hope that I've impacted lives for generations to come. Hopefully that father's because of the work that I've done in the community that fathers have now become better fathers reconciled with their children and their community and have built a legacy that I will be a part of in some form or fashion. But the crazy thing is, is that you never know how many people you impacted. Just like when I walked into prison today, there were people that I even personally don't even know. They walked up to me and told me, man, you inspired me. 
you know, hey, I saw you on the news, man. I love what you're doing. So I'm inspiring people that I may never get a chance to ever meet in my life. So it's hard to put a number to that. But I'm grateful for the opportunity. Can you tell us about your book? Oh, yes. Um, I have, I've written uh, three books, working on my fourth book. Um, okay. my, my first book is called The Five Stages of Incarceration. And, 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 and I wrote these out of my journals. I have over 40 journals that I took wrote while I was in prison, keeping personal notes and emotions, just learning about me. So my book, The Five Stages of Incarceration, was written from, it was like a personal letter to my younger self that now I share to all of the young men and women inside of the prison system. And it's focused on personal development, helping one break out of the area, their stage of self-denial, understanding the core of the anger, taking ownership for their decision, as well as learning the power of forgiveness and then transformation. That's my first book topics. The second book is called The Five States of Growth. And there I focus on only way that you can truly grow as a person is that you got to begin to heal from your hurt. Find your voice. A lot of us speak not from the voice that we have that God has given us. We speak from the voices that what people and our peers have given us and it doesn't really fit us. So that book, The Five Stages of Growth, really focused on the inner healing so that you can experience true growth in your life. And then the third book is called This the Workbook to the Five Stages. And I'm working on that fourth book. It's the facilitator guide, training prison staff and how to relate to those who are currently inside of prison so that they can help these individuals in their transition out of prison. Because prison staff play a very tremendous role in a person rehabilitation. If they treat individuals like human, most cases individuals start feeling like they're human and their behavior will change. Mm. That's good. Amazing. That's that's dope. <laughs> <laughs> you got a I mean, lot going on, Lester. <laughs> a lot. A lot. <laughs> yeah. But you when you're walking in purpose, man, you just you do you you're doing what is natural to you. It's not like I don't need to sit in. Like some people, how could you write a book? I don't sit and think about all the, it's like I live, I, I, I teach from my life. I teach from my experience. And that makes things easier mm -hmm. for someone on the outside looking in. They're like, damn, that looks complicated. It's really not. When you find your purpose and you drill down on your purpose, mm -hmm. like things become natural. People say, how do you, how do you speak to so many people? Do you prepare? No, I don't prepare a speech. I'm not a speech writer. I go in and speak from my heart, right? Mm -hmm. I speak from my experience. I write my book from my experience. I teach classes. I train from my experience. And that's the power of when you find your purpose and your, your gift and you find your voice, everything else is so easier for you in life. So you speak on purpose. If somebody would mm -hmm. ask you how you found your purpose or how can they find their purpose, what would you tell them? I would say, you know, my purpose is born out of pain. My purpose is born out of brokenness. But I would say if, how you find that is that you find that thing that bothered, that that broke you, that harmed you, that hurt you. Because in that pain, there's a lesson that you need to share that message with the world. You know, it's it's a lesson there. And a lot of people say, I don't know what the purpose is. I tell you, go back to that most painful moment in your life when you felt like you was broken, that you just didn't want it to live anymore. But you found a way in that you have your purpose, in that you have your steps, what I call like the five steps. You can always say five steps to what? Five steps to womanhood, five steps to manhood, but you're speaking from your experience. So in your pain, you find your purpose. It's about you just being able to be, have the courage to go to that place and find it. Right. This was I'm a good. really good interview. This, a very yeah. good interview too. I mean, I wish we could keep going. We probably could, but um, <clears throat> there's just so much, and it's, your your story is so amazing. And the good news about it is, mm -hmm. it's not over. Like this yeah, is. Yeah, <laughs> this almost like to me. Like, like, how old are you now? 
I'm turning 50 in September, September oh, 7th. Yeah, so this is. Yeah, so we have, there's going to be far more stories mm-hmm. uh, and far more, you know, interactions and uh, influences and probably more books and all that mm-hmm. uh, going forward. So we just wish you all the success in the world, many blessings. Same thing the way you are blessing other people mm-hmm. and <clears throat> that's what makes it so great i mean because mm-hmm. you're out you out you're you don't have to go back to the prisons anymore you don't have to talk to you can just you know run your business sell your books and, yeah and tell <laughs> you don't have to but it's 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 not about you you're about giving back to others and you know and affecting the others that the the rest of society and you know future generations and you know people who aren't even necessarily connected to you, um, but giving back to the community and that's what's so great about it. Charles, let me just say this before we jump off. Right, it's, mm-hmm. it's one of my mentors. I had a, I had several mentors in prison. I had one mentor named Rick Jordan, that he used to travel from Virginia to South Carolina every weekend to come into a prison for just maybe five hours to teach me about business and financial literacy. Wow. Had another prison chaplain who taught me the power of understanding that it's okay to learn the power of a man loving you, not in some 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 strange way, but understanding that men can love men in a very unique way, right? Um, and, and that's empowering when another man can say, man, I love you, brother, you know, and, and show you what true manhood is. That's a powerful thing. But in that, in those relationships, I learned the, the power of reciprocity. Our success is not based upon of us accumulating all of this wealth just for us. You find the most richest person before they die, they become a philanthropist. They find ways to give back to the community because they realize that they can't take it. So the keys to success that a lot of people miss is how you build success is you find to understand the law of reciprocity. You give when you can and you give all you can and whatever you can't give, you will receive it back even greater. That's a law that a lot of people miss in their in their pursuit for happiness, pursuit for success. The pursuit for success and happiness comes when you learn that you can just help someone do something out of your pain. I even when you ask about purpose. Your purpose, when you find that purpose, go help someone. If you want to find a purpose, go find someone who's in need and sit down and talk to them. And you realize that your life is not all that bad and you have something to offer this world by just sitting in and talking to a man on the street or a woman on the street or talking to anyone that is that is that don't have what you have right now. And that's how you understand your value in giving back and empowering other people. And your life is more fulfilling in that way. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. You say talk. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So Lester, how can people get in touch with you? How can they get in your programs and Right, right. You can just go to and thanks for that. You can just go to my website, path number two redemption.org, and you could connect with me just as just as anyone. You can just connect with me, see the books, the programs, and just reach out and just see if I could if I could help you, I'll help you. That's part of who I am. I'm a I'm I'm a person that gives. That's just my nature, right? Um so just reach out and let me know if I can help in any way. I want to see people change their lives. I want to see men who are getting out of prison impact their lives by getting being better fathers, better husbands, better brothers, better community servants, so that we can change this this violence and all of this type of generational harm that we're causing to our community. So yeah, just reach me at path number two redemption.org. Okay. Any social media? Yeah, on um, Facebook, uh, Lester Young on Facebook, Lester Young on uh, uh, LinkedIn, 
and on Instagram, Path Redemption 515 on Instagram. Cool, cool, cool. All right, thanks. Lester, uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for your time. Thanks for Thank all these gems that you dropped today and all the great <laughs> information. <laughs> and we're gonna get that. We're gonna get together and have that coffee since we're in the same city. Uh, right, yeah, bro. Take you to a that. nice restaurant and eat some nice, uh, nice food and nice nothing like eating good food and good conversation, brother. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Boy, so I love to eat. Yeah. <laughs> Got me some food right here now. I'm about to eat some, some uh, what's that? Like salmon, grazed honey salmon, stir fry, mm -hmm. and some shrimp. Oh my right. god, bro! Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> so y'all be good. blessed, man. I appreciate Thank you. Thank you eating. so much. Thank, Thank you. Man. All right, man. Peace. Bye. You know, every time we interview somebody, I was like, it can't really get, it can't get better, and then it gets better, and then it can't get no better, and then it gets better. And <laughs> it can't get no better, but it gets better. It's it gets better. <laughs> we have a great community. It's a lot of great people out there, and oh, somehow, uh, through the universe lining up right, we keep right. Uh, getting them on the show. So that's and we've just been yeah. very fortunate that way to find all these great people. Uh, and you know, Lester's no exception to that rule. He's definitely is a great story, um, <clears throat> a great person. And he's that's is genuineness. You can you can yeah. hear it in his voice that this is who he is. This is what he's all about. He's all about helping the people. He's all about helping the community, and um, just helping people get on their feet. Uh, like I was saying earlier, you know, there you know there's a there's a community there's a pocket of the community and you know they made those mis those mistakes whether those mistakes be crime or just you know not making bad decisions financially and just you know uh, find themselves in a bad spot and just need to get on their feet and so and fortunately there's someone out here uh lester who is yeah. helping people get back on their feet and kind of guiding them and giving them resources and working you know in the community with the government official uh, can't talk government officials uh lobbying you know for changes uh governmentally and to make changes uh to make permanent changes because again like i said this is a, that's a personal thing but yeah social media posts do nothing uh you can tweet all day but until you know you go out there you vote you talk to the mayor you talk to the city council you talk to the county council um you know nothing's going to change so you got to get out there and um make some things happen yeah. and you know the bible said you know you can you, god can use anybody absolutely right? absolutely <laughs> he can use anybody yeah. and just because you may have fallen from grace doesn't mean you can't pick yourself back up and keep moving absolutely. and absolutely. you know level up like remember we were talking about the lady who um uh the runner and she got caught with the the drugs in her system and she couldn't do olympics you know what i mean like we were talking about oh yeah yeah, yeah. From Gary, but she'll come back and yeah right so right. it's gonna be okay even um the lady in russia oh um Brittany griner yeah I mean, she has cpd oil i mean that's nothing it's not uh, right <laughs> <laughs> i'm like nine years old <laughs> Right. It's not like it's she had like time. 20 joints rolled up in her back. <laughs> rolled. 
No, I didn't even know it was CPU. I didn't even yeah, know it was CPU. Uh, they just trying to make that's just a, trying to make the statement. Yeah. I guess that's a political thing. Yeah. Uh, it has nothing to do, you know, with her, her personally. Yeah. Um, Collateral but, damage. But. Yeah, she's she's being a political pawn. Um, Putin is trying to get some people out of prison, out of American prisons. Uh, that's what that is, and so. Um, but it, someone posted that it's very interesting that the United States is trying to get uh, Brittany Griner out of prison for marijuana when we have so many people in prison in America for marijuana that we're not releasing here at home. So, um, mm-hmm. but that's a conversation America don't want to have right now. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Um, we have to start being better as a country uh we can't go around the world finger wagging when you know we have our own issues at home that we need to address um but yeah like you were saying uh getting going back to you know what you're saying i can use anyone absolutely um anyone can you can turn your life around you can get you can get better uh and do great things even when you thought it was all over when you thought okay this is the biggest mistake ever it's a wrap for me, you know. <laughs> um, no, it's not. You can go and still do great things. Uh, your life is if there's breath in your body, you can praise the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I was going to say. That's not what you were going to say. I no. just, say <laughs> well, that is true. <laughs> Let everything that have breath, but no, that's not what I was going to say. If you have breath in your body, uh, you have another opportunity to do the right thing and to do great things uh, in this world. Yeah. Even if it's just helping, you know, those around you. Uh, you don't have to change the world. You don't have to become the next president, but you can make changes in your household or with your friends or with your family or, um, you know, reconcile with that sibling that you haven't getting along with or with a parent or whatever. Um, yeah, you can you can do great things or just, you know, create a have a better relationship with your child. I know there's a lot of guys out there who don't have, you know, great relationships with their kids. And so uh, or, you know, with their child's mother, you can start turning that around. And so, um, yeah, y'all fell out, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever. But and what it requires a lot of times is owning your stuff. Yep. Everything starts and ends with you. Right. Hey, I messed up. Can we start over? Yeah. Yeah. How to win friends and influence people. <laughs> I started that book. I didn't finish book. it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I was, I, the audiobooks is I'm I'm audiobooks all day. I can't mm-hmm. just sit and read a book, but I can listen to audiobooks all day. So I was listening to the audiobook too, and that's what I got about halfway through. And did you do listen to an audible? I was on YouTube actually. Okay, so I listened to it on Audible, and the narrator on the Audible book it sounds like very monotone. It's very monotone, and you know those, um, you know how like movies and stuff were from like the nineteen thirties and forties. The uh, remember how they talked? No, what's the movie? Um, I can't think of the movie. It's a Christmas movie. Uh, the one they play every year it's a wonderful life okay you know how they talk on there so old hollywoodish and that's what the, that's what the narrator reminds me of and so <laughs> i couldn't 
I was like, maybe and I need to really, because uh, this now you need to do a revised fun. version of how to win friends and influence people. Clearly, um, yeah, I'll try exactly. again because everybody, <laughs> everybody swears by it. So I will try again, but I couldn't get through that audible. It was like, uh, this, this this guy's voice is annoying me. But I'm sure it's a great I, book. Yeah, I can agree with that because some of that stuff is kind of older and I, it is. I have to re- i have to go back and listen to it a couple of times i you gotcha. know those are the books i have to like listen to quarterly mm-hmm. because uh you get in situations with people and you're like i know i'm right but you just have to mm-hmm, yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> <'Cause> like, so, <laughs> you know. while we're on the subject what are some of your favorite business books Oh goodness! So I'm listening to um, One Minute Millionaire is one of my favorites. They have two sides. Hmm. They have, and I say two sides because they wrote the first half for a left brain person, which is numbers and analytics. And they say, you know, invest this amount with this interest in this in these amount of years, you'll be a millionaire. Um, and so that's the left brain side. And the right brain side is a story. And I'm like, oh, I love stories. <laughs> I'm like, this is a great story. I'm like, God, Mich-. and, the, and the, the lady's name is Michelle. I'm like, God, Mich-. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, um, but yeah, it was by Mark Hansen and uh, can't think of the other guy's name. Hmm. But um, it's a good book. Okay. Uh, one Minute Millionaire. And then the one I'm reading right now is 12 Months to a Million, I think. 12 Months to a Million? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. on Audible. I just okay. started that today. Okay. He's very, um, you can tell he's probably like 30s, early 40s. So mm-hmm. his, I, I like his narration. He was like, listen, if you don't want to eat, breathe, and sleep entrepreneur, you ain't got to read this book. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you right now. You ain't even gotta stop. You ain't just stop right there. You ain't even gotta read it. So uh, I, I was like, yes, this is my book. This is my book. Um, and then there's a lady by the name of Rachel Rogers. Okay, she's. We should all be millionaires. That's why I'm I laugh because all my stuff is about millionaires. Um, we should all be millionaires by Rachel Rogers. Okay. And so those are probably. Business Made Simple is a good book, but that was more like a, a left brain book for me. Okay. Um, but I could go on and on about books. I so see. I'm going to stop there. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I do, I love to read because, and, and we have an interesting dynamic where I feel like I start something and I feel like you learn how, you know how to close it. And I'm like, yes, that's, that's what I meant, Charles. Yes. Because <laughs> I'm not really great at articulating. Like I know what I want to say, but I have to, I'm very visual. So I have to do very like graphic and pictures and stuff. Like my sister will be like, well, why does everything have to be like a scenario? I was like, because that's how I think. <laughs> I think in scenarios. They're like, well, imagine this with this. And this is how this became to be. So, yeah. So that's how I, how I come to my realization. So I do like that you can articulate what I'm saying. It's like, if I'm hearing you correctly, you said this is it. And, you know, Okay, well, I'm tr- I'm glad I'm useful to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you help me too. I'm like, oh, that's okay. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Because you you like you listen to it, you interpret, and then you're able to relate. Most people, 
it takes three times, right? It -hmm. takes you to receive the information. Then the second time you can retain it. And then the third time you're able to relay it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. So it takes me a little minute to, to get all my information, but it seems like it's almost like only two times for you. Like you're able to receive it and then relay it back. Um, I'm a very focused listener. So uh, I'm listening for like details and keywords and things like that. And the reason why I do that, that, uh, so it sounds like you're saying blah, blah, blah. I do that to make sure I understand uh, what you're saying, number one, and number two, to help myself remember it. So if okay. I say it back to you, what you're, whatever right. you said to me, then I'm more likely to remember it. It's a little something I do. Uh, but yeah, I wrote those those books down that you said, and so I will check them out because I'm a big reader also. I haven't really been reading business books lately. Um, my genre of choice lately has been essays. So um, I'm turning in the essay mood right now, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll always swing back to business at some point, business, biographies, whatever, whatever. Um, my favorite business book is a book called <clears throat> How to Become a Rainmaker by, Ooh. I think it's by Jeffrey J. Fox. And it's a short book. It's not very long at all. Um, a friend of mine sent, sent it to me years ago. Shout out to Latanya. By and, who? Uh, huh? By who? Uh, Jeffrey J. Fox. It's called How to Become a Rainmaker. And it's really about sales, but you can apply it anywhere in business. Like a lot of the, the principles are universal. Oh, uh, and if you're in business yeah. at all, you, you really are a salesman um, because your goal is to make money and you can't make money if you're not selling anything. Even if you're, you know, even if you're not selling an actual physical product, you're selling, you know, whatever. Um your talent is or uh, that's still sales <clears throat> everybody's in sales everybody's, Every, in sales everybody's in sales if you went to your nine to five and said i will work for 40 dollars an hour 25 dollars an hour 15 yeah. you sold yourself for you a so it time. is you know what i mean like you you're selling your time for your for your labor so everybody's in sales so like, i highly recommend that book it's, it's really short you read it in probably less than a week but it is so really? okay. yes it's so simple it's the simplest business book you'll ever read but the most impactful you'll probably ever read i think it's a highly slept on business book everybody talks about you know rich dad poor dad which is a great book um and what's the other one um think and grow rich and all that and those are great books also but um i think that's one that hasn't gotten as much attention so um how to become a rainmaker Jeffrey J. Fox, great book. And we talking about money then. <clears throat> right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And they got an audio book. <laughs> oh, cool. I didn't know it was an audio book. I, didn't, I read the physical. It's, it's a tiny little book. It's not, it's just, it's maybe, I don't know, it's 150 two hours, pages. It's yeah. two hours and 10 minutes. Yeah. And so I'll read that tomorrow. Cool. <laughs> yeah. And um, I'm, I'm trying to do better in sales. So. <clears throat> that's the perfect book then. Yeah, because um, somebody said, you know, what you're scared of is what you're meant to do. And so a lot of things and most people, like you said, are like scared to talk to people, scared to get out mm-hmm. the box and, um, you know, just put their their self out there. But if it's something that you're passionate about, mm-hmm. I feel like that goes out the window. That fear and stuff kind of it comes, but it goes really quickly. But um, yeah. sales is an there's an art to it. I don't I think okay. a lot. A lot of people don't know that there's an art yeah. to say. Yeah. 
uh, every time I, I start a venture, a business venture that involves business in any way, shape or form, I reread that book. So I probably read it like three times now. So um, it's just one of those go to references uh, that's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I really need to, you know, lock that, you know, in uh, that point. And uh, he just has some really great, simple, simple, simple. Uh, things just they're almost common sense. Uh, you would think they're common once you read them. Oh yeah, I should know that. Um, right. So it's, it's it's highly recommended. But uh, I know we can talk about business all day. Yes, we yeah. can. I know the theme <laughs> of this season, <laughs> and we can we can continue this offline. But um, the theme of the season, look- y'all, is handling business. That's what handling we do. Handling business. So yes. We'll put these books in uh, the show notes, and so you guys can pick them up or download them <clears throat> from the library or on Audible uh, to listen to them. Uh, if you are interested in business or business books, because you have to always uh, keep your knowledge game up. You don't know everything, even if you you don't know everything. There's always something to learn. There's always someone who knows something that you don't know. And there's you, you have to be humble enough to learn and say, I don't know everything. You know, let me learn this. Um, so, uh, hopefully these references, these books, uh, will help you out in your business journey. And more importantly, hopefully our interview today, uh, with Lester Young will help you out, uh, in your journey and also inspire you, uh, look him up, follow him on social media, donate to his cause. Um, he's a great brother doing a lot of great things in the community. Mm -hmm. So, uh, if you have a couple of extra dollars, uh, yeah. You know, drop him a few dollars. That'll be great uh, to help him. You know, with his with his work out in the yeah. community. So uh, that's path number two redemption. Uh, he said dot org, right? Path um, to redemption. Yes, dot org. Yeah. So um, yeah, uh, thank you guys for listening. We will see you guys next time. Be sure to follow us on social media. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at Afros Locks Biz. Uh, in our Facebook group, uh, Afros Locks and Biz FB group, just search for groups. And uh, when you listen to our podcast, be sure to subscribe so that you'll get notified when there's a new episode available. And uh, leave us a review if it's available on your podcast app. So uh, until next time, you guys have a great week. Asia, take care of yourself. Thank you. You do the same. <laughs> I will. All right, guys. Bye.